Hey everyone, welcome to Sifted HQ, episode 18, the loot crate of gaming shows. You never know what's gonna be in this show. We mix it up every single week and we're doing it again this week. We have a brand new segment we're gonna premiere. Let's check it out. We can all agree games are never perfect. There's always something that can be fixed, adjusted, or renovated to make them better. Enter GameFlip. It's the house flipping show for video games. Our first project is the Shark PG Maneater. The biggest fish we have to fry is the camera. For some reason, its lock-on feature is only temporary, making it difficult to keep track of prey. So we're adding a permanent lock-on to it. We're also pulling it back a bit so we can see more of the terrain. That should also help with keeping track of predators. And finally, We'll eliminate the two different camera modes from above and below the water. It makes combat awkward, and there's no reason for not being able to see under the water when your dorsal fin is surfaced. Next is combat. The only strategy besides dodging and attacking when you get an opening is swimming away to eat fish and replenish health. It's paper thin, and we feel helpless going against bounty hunters with assault rifles, so we're going to give our sharks some frickin' lasers. It's not even that outlandish when you look at some of the existing attachments already in the game. Not only will this renovation level the playing field with the cowards and boats, it will also aid in zapping small fish to replenish health, or finishing off that pesky croc just before you become gator bait. Some of Maneater's most memorable moments are the showdowns with the wacky cast of bounty hunters. They're fun at first, but eventually you realize you complete them all the same exact way. We're going to give them a drastic makeover. We're talking in anything that floats mentality, allowing for boss craft that truly live up to the name. We're also going to add land elements to the bounty hunter showdowns, if only to see what they look like before we eat them. Bobby Bojangles and the crew need some adjusting, and we're the people to do it. Fish sure do lead boring lives, because the mission objectives in Maneater smell like three-day-old tuna. Go here and eat this, now go there and eat that. It gets old quick. Our quick and dirty fix is to add a goofy narrative from the already excellent disembodied voice. Some sort of metagame with a side story. It would help break up the monotony of those long swims between objectives, and it's already there for the landmarks and license plates. We'll just add an addition to it. Heck, let's take it out of the water for even more fun. The map and waypoints are a real problem in Maneater. The map looks like it was drawn with crayons by a third grader, and the waypoint is far too vague. We're going to remove those systems and install the guided pathway from Sleeping Dogs. Using this mechanic, you won't get lost in the swamp trying to reach the waypoint two nautical miles away. Plus, you can always sell it as some kind of uber sonar upgrade. Our work here is done. With these renovations, Maneater is now the apex predator it was meant to be. Time to find another game to flip. Summer is officially here and the gaming industry is heating up. And that's why we're here with the big six, the six biggest news stories in gaming for the week ending June 30th, 2020. Cyberpunk 2077 has been delayed multiple times. So there were fears that it may end up slipping into 2021. Those concerns were muted a bit when CD Projekt Red blew out the game this week with well over an hour of new footage. 
New details include an extensive melee system, three available character classes, and a feature called Brain Dance, where you relive other people's memories. A Netflix anime has been announced for 2022, and the game will be censored in Japan to remove nudity. Digital Foundry is skeptical that the game can run on current-gen hardware, so perhaps the drama isn't over just yet. By now, all of you are neck deep in The Last of Us Part Two, or maybe you've already completed it. Which means that, by now, you've realized it's an excellent game. You're not alone. Naughty Dog's latest release sold over 4 million copies in its first weekend on sale, passing Marvel's Spider-Man to become the fastest-selling PlayStation 4 exclusive ever. The PlayStation 4's massive install base certainly helps, but really, this is a case of a game getting its just rewards. Speaking of just rewards, the creative director of Assassin's Creed Valhalla just got his. Ishraf Ismail stepped down from his post this week after he was accused of cheating on his wife with other Ubisoft employees. He stated that he is stepping away to focus on his family. Ismail is not alone. The last week has been a reckoning across the industry for those accused of sexual misconduct. Xbox's reckoning is coming up in July when it debuts the first party games for Xbox Series X. So software is coming, but what about the hardware? The long-rumored weaker version of Xbox Series X, codenamed Lockhart, looks like it's a done deal. Development kit documentation making the rounds references Lockhart multiple times. Insiders have suggested it will have the same CPU as the more powerful version, but a weaker GPU. Rumors have been swirling for more than a year about WB Games' Harry Potter RPG, and we just finally got confirmation. Bloomberg's Jason Schreier is reporting that the game was scheduled to be unveiled at E3 2020. He also reports that it's still on track for a 2021 release, but some of its developers have expressed concern over author J.K. Rowling's recent tweet that has been interpreted as transphobic. Studio management has yet to address the issue, which has some employees concerned, so this is a story definitely worth keeping an eye on. Microsoft launched Mixer not that long ago to compete with Amazon's juggernaut Twitch. However, Mixer is going to be closed beginning July 22, 2020. Xbox's Phil Spencer stated that Microsoft is not capable of scaling the service, so it's partnered with Facebook Gaming instead. Any existing Mixer accounts will automatically migrate over to Facebook. It was just August of last year when Mixer signed streaming giant Ninja to a huge exclusive contract. Now he's free to stream wherever he wants. While he counts, all his money. All right, that's it for the Big Six, the six biggest news stories in gaming for the week ending June 30th, 2020. For Sifted News, I'm Shane Satterfield, and I'll see you next week. Turned Up Tuesday gives you the best games, albums, movies, and TV show releases. But this week, we're working for it. The gaming industry basically cleared the way for the launch of The Last of Us Part Two, so there aren't many new releases. But at least you can dust off your PlayStation VR. And is there any game better for that hardware than Marvel's Iron Man VR? Become Tony Stark as the mysterious ghost tries to exact revenge from past transgressions. Using motion controls, you blast enemies as you fly through the sky and try to hold your lunch down. It features a story-driven campaign, so this isn't some goofy minigame collection. Buy yourself some Dramamine in preparation for its launch on Friday exclusively for PlayStation VR. Hero shooters are starting to look all the same, so if you're looking for something off the beaten path, there's Otterman Empire. 
This intense party shooter lets you take control of 8 customizable and adorable otters. Each has its own jetpack, and with rapidly changing game modes, no two rounds are ever the same. You can play solo or with friends, and there's even split screen for couch multiplayer action. You otter check this one out when it launches Thursday for PC, Xbox One, and Switch. If you're having a socially distanced cookout this July 4th weekend, you're going to need some background music, and we've got you covered. When things are just getting started and you need some energy, turn to Boris's new album, simply called No. Their low-tempo, chuggy metal is the perfect soundtrack to tossing horseshoes, playing cornhole, or just getting everyone hype. Their sound also has a tinge of grunge, so the Generation Xers at the party will be satisfied. You may not know Paul Weller's name, but you know his music. He was the frontman for the seminal new wave slash punk band The Jam, before moving on to the Style Council. He's a solo artist now, but his music hasn't changed much from what made his groups famous. His new album, On Sunset, is the perfect choice when your party's winding down and people just want to talk and chill out. With the holiday weekend upon us, Disney Plus is the only streaming service finding a unique way to celebrate. The musical Hamilton helped put Lin-Manuel Miranda on the map as one of the hottest performers on Broadway. If you missed it, or were unable to get tickets, or were unable to afford tickets, now's your chance. It debuts on Disney Plus Friday after the company decided to skip theaters. It's a recording of a live performance of the show from 2016 with the original cast, so you're getting the real McCoy. It's won 11 Tony Awards for a reason, so learn about one of America's founding fathers with flair. Hi and welcome to Closet Raiders, where I literally pull stuff out of my closets that I've been collecting over the last 20 years of working in the games industry. Now, on last week's episode, I was digging into a cabinet at my apartment. It was one of my few allotted cabinets that I have in our place, and it's got to the point where I need to kind of purge it and clean it out and also find some cool stuff for this show. So it literally took me pretty much all week to clean out that cabinet, and it's still not Done. As I started taking stuff out of there, I was shocked at all the stuff on the floor, how much there was. Uh, a lot of the stuff in there were, was controllers. I have so many Xbox 360 controllers and PlayStation 3 controllers. I literally have like 12 Xbox 360 controllers. Uh, I think it just shows you that controllers maybe weren't made as well as they are now. I went through a lot of controllers during that era. Uh, so all that stuff, I pulled it all out of that cabinet and I put it in these bins that are now going under a bed in our spare bedroom. Probably not to be seen until we move again. So anyway, I did dig up some stuff that I want to share with you guys throughout the cleanup process. Not as much as I thought I would, honestly. And now I'm kind of on the hunt for some stuff that I cannot find. Like, a lot of my GameCube games are missing. Um, and not the ones that were stolen. Like, there's other ones that, like, I had, a, like, a Super Mario Sunshine from Japan. Like, I can't find that. Anyway... I did find some cool stuff, though. Uh, the first thing that I'm going to share today is this Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess preview trailer. So this was given away at E3 2005. And if you open it up, there's a DS card in there for the Nintendo DS. And all it is, it just has the trailer for Twilight Princess that everybody freaked out about. 
um, on the card that you can play on your DS. This is extremely rare. There are only 500 total given away to the press. I've not checked to see how much this is worth, uh, but I'm guessing to Zelda collectors, anything that there's only 500 of, probably is going to have a pretty good value to it. Next, this is something that I spent a long time trying to find, uh, and then I found it, and then it was basically re-released, and all its value went down the toilet. And that game is called Sin and Punishment for the N64. Uh, this is an extremely rare game. Um, the reason it, it had a lot of value for a long time is because it's a it's actually a good game. Uh, there's lots of rare games, but if rare games are bad, their value tends to not really go up. This is a good game. It's from Treasure, the legendary developer Treasure, which now that I think about it, what happened to them? What are they doing? I haven't seen a game from Treasure in like forever. Anyway, uh, this was pretty much the rarest N64 game. It was never released in the US. So it was one of these otaku gotta get it type things. Uh, on one of my many trips to Japan, I found it. This copy is immaculate. The box is like so crispy, but they've re-released it now. Uh, so the value of this game has gone down. I'm still glad that I have it, though. Sin and Punishment for N64. Uh, back when I first started in games journalism while I was in college at Temple in Philadelphia, I uh, was running an N64 and Dreamcast site. And I launched the site in, like, 97, like, right after the N64 launched. And uh, the first year, we were obviously having problems covering games because there weren't a lot of N64 games coming out. It was really bad. Like, it was... That was kind of the first generation where Nintendo got that reputation. So anyway, there were import stores in Philadelphia that I would frequent, and I was friends with the people who ran them, um, and they would get import uh, N64 games in there, and I overspent on a lot of them because I needed stuff to cover. Um, the first one I overspent on uh, in Japan is called Wild Sharp Choppers. Um, I believe it ended up being called Chopper Attack in the U.S. when it finally came out, but it came out in Japan way before it ever came out in the U.S., uh, the thing to note about this game is it's the first N64 game, and it may end up being one of the only or the last, that had you hold the controller uh, on the edges. So you had one hand on the D-pad and the other hand on the right, um, on, the, on the buttons. And you did not use the analog stick in the middle. You really held the N64 controller almost like a normal controller. There weren't a lot of games that did that. I think I paid... $85 for this, if I remember correctly, um, on import, just so I had something to cover for the week. Big mistake. Terrible game. Don't buy it. Probably my rarest N64 game that I have is Sumo 64. This game, <laughs> it's very Japanese. Um, not, not like because it's Sumo and Sumo isn't big in the West. It's very Japanese because it's hard to play unless you know Japanese. Um, I learned like very basic words in kanji uh, through the years, really just from playing games. Um, but this one goes far beyond. I remember uh, a friend and I, a friend and I in Philadelphia messing around with this game for like three hours trying to figure out how to play it. Um, I think the report I ended up doing on it was one, obviously don't waste your money. I think I paid like a hundred dollars for this, by the way. That's how desperate we were to, for stuff to cover. Um, but anyway, this is an extremely rare. It hardly sold at all, even in Japan. This may be one of the only like 20 copies in the United States sitting right here. I paid a hundred dollars for it. It's not worth a dollar, in my opinion. It's one of the worst games I've ever played. Um, but when you're desperate, you do desperate things. So I paid a hundred dollars for Sumo 64 way back in... Was that 97? I can't remember. I found a Bleem disc. Do you guys know what Bleem is? 
Bleem is a, basically a boot disc for the Dreamcast that you would put in the Dreamcast and it would spin up and then you could open the hatch, pull the disc out, and then you could put any PlayStation 1 game in the Dreamcast and it would play. Basically, just using the hardware on the Dreamcast. Um, it was fraught with lawsuits. Sony sued Bleem, I don't know how many, how many times. I believe Bleem won every time. But the product never really caught on. Um, basically, it was just a way to play your old library of PlayStation 1 games on your Dreamcast if you had upgraded and you had gotten rid of your old PlayStation 1. So one of those moments in history. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if this still works. I'm guessing it does. Um, back then, you didn't really update hardware. Once you got a piece of hardware, that's the way it stayed. Um, and so probably this still works. I can probably pop this in, boot it up, and then pop a PlayStation game in there, and it'll probably play. So anyway, that's Bleem. Um, I also found a crazy peripheral. So I actually have it unboxed, and then I have a brand new version that's never been opened. And it is Guitar Hero on tour for the Nintendo DS. And you're like, how do you play a Guitar Hero game on a handheld? Well, Activision built these crazy peripherals that snapped on to the Nintendo DS. Uh, again, did not sell very well. Again, I'm sure Activision lost its butt producing these peripherals, but it's one of those cool little memories from Gaming Pass that we'll probably will never ever see again. The avalanche of fake E3 game announcements have slowed a bit this week but several big franchises have debuted something new. With the success of the Crash Bandicoot Insane trilogy, it was only a matter of time before we got a new entry in the series. Crash Bandicoot 4 It's About Time gets the gang back together to protect the fate of the entire space-time continuum. With new masks for new abilities and a focus on more open 3D platforming, it's not exactly like the old games, but it does offer longtime fans some olive branches. Stock up on Wampa Fruit to prepare for its October 2nd release for PS4 and Xbox One. The Pokemon IP is basically a license to print money. Few Pokemon-related products have been failures, and now Pokemon Company is taking it into a new domain. Pokemon Unite is essentially League of Legends with Pokemon. This MOBA does tweak the win conditions a bit, and some things are custom-tailored for the franchise but this 5-on-5, team-based game still has all the tenets of the genre. Catch wild Pokémon, level them up, and watch them evolve and learn new attacks. It's coming to Switch, but it's also hitting iOS and Android. No hard release date has been announced, but it launches sometime this year. You can play the campaign in Resident Evil 7 Biohazard entirely in VR if you want, and it proves that the medium is capable of a good scare. Do Not Open is attempting to do the same, but it's more of a room-by-room -room affair with its escape room elements. Though a lot of details are still in the dark, we do know it's coming exclusively to PlayStation VR next year. Stay tuned to Sifted.net to learn more, or just follow the game on the site to make sure you don't miss any of its updates. A spin-off of Iga's new franchise, Bloodstained, was released back in 2018, and now we're getting a surprise sequel. The follow-up to Curse of the Moon, simply titled Curse of the Moon 2, is another retro-style Castlevania clone where you take control of a swordsman from the Far East who hates demons and the people who summon them. The game also boasts three new playable characters with their own playstyles. 
The graphics are 8-bit, but the concept should be anything but when it releases for all major platforms July 10th. All right, that's it for Sifted HQ episode 18. We got Bob Vila on the show at this point, renovating some games. I really like that segment. It was an idea that Mitch came up with, and uh, you'll probably be seeing that off and on throughout Sifted HQ across the rest of the year. Hope you guys are doing great. Hope you like the show, and we'll see you next week. 